You're listening to In Her Boots, the bootless relaunch, a podcast presented to you by Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. My name is Tiffany Lachey, and today I have the pleasure of chatting with Marion Abdenur. Marion works in Minnesota with Hope Communities, Inc. In her words, she's the weird lady that carries around the plants and seeds. I started out our conversation today by asking Miriam what it was like growing up in Somalia. I was the kid, though, like you couldn't catch me. I'd climb trees. <laughs> but I had shoes thrown at me. You look like a tree climber. All the time. I had shoes thrown at me. That was the thing. Like the shoe or the slipper would just go off and you're just like, you got you to go. <laughs> Otherwise, they'll get you. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. So you would hide in trees? Tell me more about climbing trees. One of my favorite activities as a child. It didn't help that I had a spider monkey as a pet. So the combination of the two of us. A spider monkey? I had a spider monkey, yes. My uncle Hassan, who took care of the cows. Uh, He was the one that would, especially when they were home, he would graze them at the farm found a baby uh, spider monkey who we don't know what happened to the mom and he noticed it like within I think he watched him for two days and was just like okay this baby doesn't I know no one is taking care of him and so he brought him home and he was like you are the perfect person to take care of this (laughs) and that was my buddy and we had like stray cats and things around the house that are moving and we all had like chickens to take care of but no one had a pet pet so this was this one animal. And because of my grandma that I could get away with, like there's stories previously of like my aunts and uncles and cousins, older cousins, either bringing home like puppies that they found in the wild and getting, there's always each generation. My mom says there's always a group that brings a puppy. Somehow they get together and find a puppy and they bring it home. <laughs> and that's a huge no, no, especially when you're just like getting a stray you know, a wild dog puppy. It's, yeah. it's just a no-no. And there's always a thing about it. So every generation is just expected there's going to be a story about the group that brought the puppy home. But I had the monkey. A monkey. <laughs> no puppy, a monkey. Who my grandmother was like, the monkey can stay. And so he was just everywhere with me. And, and oh, it frustrated my dad. My mom got over it after a while. Cause she was like, you bathe it. That's the one thing. It's like a dirty animal. That's just all of it. Like when you're taking a bath, it takes a bath with you. And the monkey was like, yeah, we're in the water every bath. <laughs> every day? Yeah. Every night when I was taking the bath, they would put it. So we had, um, we didn't use like, cause all of our bathrooms were like the ones you squat for. At least when we were home, because I wasn't, he wasn't allowed to travel. So when we would go to Kenya or different places, the monkey would stay at home. And then my uncle who brought the monkey, because he was tied to it, my grandma was like, then you are the next person that takes care of this monkey. Between the two of you, you're responsible for it. And so he would stay, but I had, we had these pools for the kids. In the evening, everyone, like all of us, you go from the oldest to the youngest, we take our baths. And you're just in these like little round pools and they have like five around and they get filled up with warm water. Uh-huh. And then my monkey will go in mine and we knew it. <laughs> mine was the green one was mine. And I'll just, yeah. you know, take my bath at night mm-hmm. and while my hair has been washed and mm-hmm. did he did he help you wash your hair? Yeah. It would get into everything. And everybody was patient because they were just like, I just have to deal with him in this pool. Mm-hmm. The monkey does not go in the other pool. 
-hmm. it's just around me and they will tolerate because my grandmother would force them to tolerate it and and then just left us to our worlds and so when anybody would get angry at me or would just be like oh my goodness and then they just start looking around or and then I'm like oh that's a signal (laughs) there's a monkey (laughs) up on the trees how long did you have it I had him for about four years and then I left him when I came to the U.S. Okay. So this was recent. Yeah. It's like, I mean, 15 years ago. So yeah. Recent in my, like it was towards the end of my childhood in, 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 in Africa. And it is just, it was amazing. I loved it because we were in the farms. I could climb the trees and then the monkey can go on long trips with us. Cause I always wondered with my uncle, uh, and it was just, it didn't, he, the, his name was Bashir. He didn't need a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Like most of the things he needed was my shoulder. And uh, what did he eat? He ate anything. Like I, I, majority of the time when I was eating, but mostly nuts and bananas. And Somalia, there's bananas everywhere. 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 So many different varieties, huh? So many different varieties. <laughs> we have the, oh, I miss the sweet ones. There's a special variety that grows in Somalia, the little Somali bananas. Are they tiny? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't taste the same. The ones I see here, I'm like, mm-mm. And yeah, but usually like I would have my food. He had these metal bowls that were just like for him. And then he'll get the food in there and then just eat. <laughs> My food was always too spicy, so a lot of the kids didn't eat with me. I ate with adults because I liked super spicy foods. But the monkey was that was the one thing he was like, no. <laughs> you crazy human you eat your spicy. I just want Well you can pretty much eat most of the things I ate. I don't yeah. ever remember him having a hard time with eating. He wasn't picky, huh? Yeah, because I got him really young. I'm just it was what yeah. was around. Yeah, but there's a lot of food around, so just enjoy the food that I was eating. And I ate a lot. What kind of food was around? Was this on your farm? Yeah, this was in Somalia, in southern Somalia. uh, The place is called Arladi. And so there you have, we have guavas, pomelos. That was my favorite thing. Mm. That's one food that we shared. I used to, so I wore a lot of overalls. I still, this is an overall. I still wear a lot of overalls. Okay. <laughs> but I had this like uh, jean overall that clipped and I would wear like these short sleeve striped t-shirts and my front pocket was reserved for sea salt. I would always have sea salt in there and I would eat the sea salt. It worked, it went with tamarind. It worked with like, we eat, I used to eat lemons just as they were peel them and eat them. It went with mangoes. It was just like everything I ate, I could put the sea salt on it. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like it needed to be here at all. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you had the pocket there just yeah. for your sea salt. There was always sea salt in it. I would put sea salt in it. Like if my pants got washed, I would put them <laughs> back on and I would make sure that pocket had sea salt in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my god. A habit I learned from my grandfather because when I was little, my grandfather had this green belt. It had little pockets all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there will be snacks for me in the pocket. This is where my eating all day comes from. <laughs> I like well, snacks for you in his belt. Yeah. yeah, it would be like roasted nuts, biscuits, like chocolate, like just all around him. And that was when he was teaching at the mosque. Once I run out, I would like move through, and then he would have a thermos of like chai, and then a little container. So. 
I have this here. So this is Amel. This is my grandmother's Amel, which is um, wooden. Actually, my grandfather curved, uh, carved it. It's and beautiful. she made this strap. She just took a belt and like created a thing for it. But this is like for the camel nomads, they usually have one of these around their elbow. And this is like their drinking cup. But I had, there's ones like this and they have a cover. And so my grandfather would, the one he carried around, always had buttermilk in it for me or fermented camel milk. So I literally, I would have a thermos of chai. He would have camel milk or like buttermilk for me. And I would snack through. And once I finished all my snack, that was, the lesson was done. He was like, next thing, we'll move on to the next thing. But at all times he would carry my food. And what was he teaching you? Well, he wasn't necessarily teaching me. He taught adults. So he was oh, okay. a professor. He's a chef. And so he taught the highest level of Islamic law. So he was like one of the top teachers of Islam at his time of Islamic law. And, and he would have all these adults who would spend like 10 years with him, learning with him. And so they would have lessons at the mosque. And when he was preparing lessons, I would know them. I would be correcting people at the age of five. And I would be like, that's not how you pronounce it. And the story goes like this and this and this. At five. Because you were, you were going there with him every day. Yeah, I would go. I'd spend my whole day with him until bedtime. And my mom would come. Um, so he had, my grandmother and us lived in one house. And then there was a house right next to it. Uh, there was an alley that went through it. And I had on the side of my grandmother's house, I had a small door cut out <laughs> the wall. I'll go right through and go through the next wall into his house. And that was my pathway just for me. <laughs> just, just for you. Oh my goodness. So what, what was it about you that uh, made your grandfather take you with him every day? You did just I'm, I'm his demand to go. Grandchild, his oldest grandchild. I don't know what about me that did it. I think it was just, I was just interested. I wanted to be around him. And he was just like, you're here. He told um, everybody in our, um, in our town, in our village, when I was five, because I got hit once at uh, Sami schools for not being able to pronounce something correctly. And the kid that hit me, uh, he was like older. So they teach the younger kids, their cycle levels. His father was one of my grandfather's students. So my grand, I came and I was like, Baba, you will never believe what just happened to me. It, Hassan hit me and he, I was like, for the sake of the Quran, I was like, can you believe it? And he was like, let's go. He <laughs> <laughs> so follows me and he takes that stick and he breaks it. And my grandpa was really tall too. So he like stuck it near to the ceiling of the building. And he was like, you don't hit Maryam for the Quran. He said, she knows more than you do. Mm. And he literally, he's like, just let it be known that I said, Mariam knows more. And this is the person like that makes the rules. Mm -hmm. How old was the kid? He was about, I think, 17, mm. like 17 or so. Yeah. And he was like, he, he told his father. So his father was the head of the school. He said, all of you, she knows more than you. <laughs> so this is like a person who studied with my grandfather for years. Right. And I, and that was where uh, my mom always talks about it. She's like, I, she's like, I just let go because she was trying to say, this is your grandfather. You're just a kid. Be more with the kids. But I was like, no, this is my person. And this is who I spent all my time with. Mm -hmm. um, when I learned the first, first big chapter of the Quran, um, who was taught to me by the older 
the Kiram Tasta Hassan's, his dad taught it to me. My grandfather, I remember I went to him and I was like, Baba, I know the opening to the Quran. I was so excited because I would just, I would show off every time I could. And my grandfather, because he is, he was considered the highest educated person, the most knowledgeable person in our town, nobody, he didn't, he didn't have to stand up for people. Like people would get really uncomfortable if he stood up to greet them or if he stood up. So he usually stayed and he's also like, he was probably one of the tallest people in the town. And so I, my mom, he had just prayed the evening prayers. It's like t- twilight time. She always talks about it. And she said, you came in just flying. She's like, he was telling me a story and he just stopped and all his attention was to you. And that was how he was. Like if I entered a room, all his attention would go to me. And people would just be like, what is it with this one child that you just, his whole attention went to me. He saw and, you. Yeah. And I was like, guess what? I know this whole chapter of the Quran. And he was like, you know, the opening. And I was like, I know the opening. And I spent these many hours with so-and-so and I learned all of it. And he was like, okay. And he stood up and he said, read it to me. And then I went like just from memory and I read it to him. And he said, the person that gave you the key, the opening to the Quran deserves a very big reward let's go pick it out and he said let's go pick we went over to the animal enclosure that the cows are and there was a new like quote-unquote shipment of cows because i don't know what else to call it. there was a new purchase of cows that he just got and they were called the american cows so they're like the texans with the big horns <laughs> <laughs> and he said he picked me up and put me on his shoulder and he said amongst them pick the one that you think is the best one and then I picked the highest one with the biggest horns. Had He went ahead and tied a, like a rope around it. And then we walked over to the person that taught me. And that was the gift to give to them. And he was like, this is what they deserve. They've taught you this. And so I always held such a huge value on knowledge and knowing things. Because this one person, my grandfather, was just that way. And similarly with my grandmother. They were just like, those who teach you things is a they're very valuable and they are at the level of your parents and you should always reward and understand it. And so, and my mom says that was the moment when she knew, she said, I knew I was no longer in the parent's position with you. I just let go. She said, whatever you and your grandfather were going to do, I just let go. Cause there was no stopping and returning from that moment. Yeah. You were like, yeah. tell me about your grandmother. My grandmother, oh, bless her heart. Uh, so my grandmother, Hawa, she like married to my grandfather, uh, the one I was just telling about. His name is Abdunur. So he's the one, my last name is from him um, because traditionally we take your grandfather's name is your last name. Your father's name is your middle name. And it just keeps repeating. Okay. Uh, and on, so, the, on the mother's, on your mother's side? On your father's side. On your father's you side. You take okay. on... You take on the maternal line or the matriarchal line when you transition to the next realm. So the day that your body is buried, you will be announced with your mother's name, her mother's name, her mother's name. So in the same way you are in this world, your father's name and his father and his father. I didn't know that. Yeah. So they transition. They belong in two different worlds. And it's better because the next world is the forever world. This one is just a transition. Mm-hmm. Your father just has you for a small time and eventually you belong to your mom. You belong to God, but you belong to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my grandmother, so where my grandfather was tall, she was short. 
<laughs> well, he was like, he's a pretty chill and like very academic in his head, uh, a lot about that. He was like really known for like, he could, you would ask him about something. Most of the time he would respond with a joke to break the tension because it's really tense. Um, and then he could just tell you from memory from the book that you need to go find the thing that helps you with this. He'll be like, this book on this page, at this chapter, this number, go read it and that will give you context and then you can go check out this book. And he had the library and then you just go learn it for yourself. My grandmother, a lot shorter than him, um, fiery. She was like, I said it and it's done there. (laughs) (laughs) It's all exploration and that stuff. Then what is doing? She's like, this is too much for me. But they met in this place of they loved people. They had a lot of responsibility in our community and people just gathered towards them. Their homes were open. Um, They raised so much. They had three kids together, but raised so much more kids than that together. Um, And she was just solid. You could trust her with anything. Her home was your home, but she had rules. (laughs) In her home, you took ownership. You just didn't, like, you could come, but you were invited to be a part of the space. Uh, You didn't bring weapons into it. And you needed to tell her your stories. You couldn't just like stay, she'll ask you questions. So in our house, um, when you come through the red gate, so it's called the house of the red gate. So if you come to our village or home, uh, people are, you're looking for a place to stay, no matter who you are, what your background is, even if you don't know our languages and our traditions, people will say, go find the house with the red gate. You'd come there, you had home and board. Like you just, you had what you needed. People will just send you that. They're just like, go find that lady and then she'll take care of you. And then that and resulted, so you'd come in and her expectation is you come in through the gate. Her hut is the first thing you'll come to. She also did not like cemented floors. She wanted to be right on the ground. Um, She lived, the hut that she lived in was the first hut that she built onto that land. She built it herself. She built it herself. It's where her kids were born. We built, like, there's more modern homes built around it, but that remained. That was it. Like, she, would, she wouldn't sleep on a mattress. She spoke on Olul. And I have not seen that in outside of African cultures. I see it in Asian cultures. But it's pretty much, like, the human size of, um, you know, that it's made out of bamboo and you roll the sushi with. Mm-hmm. It looks like that. And she just puts, like, a giant blanket you know those I think here they call them Asian blankets but we call them just those really heavy blankets that have like tigers or flower patterns on them you have that on there and then she had a pillow my dad every year would buy a new mattress for her mm-hmm. we even had a room just stored with mattresses because she would just put it there <laughs> <laughs> she refused yeah she just she's just like this does not work for me I need the hardness <laughs> And this yeah. is too high. I'll fall from it. And I remember when she was like, and my cousin was talking to her. She was like, you're going to fall out of bed. Are you a kid? She was like, you can call me Howe Yalo, which meant you can call me Howe the child. <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> call me what you want. I'm not using that mattress. Yeah, she, she was not using it. And then in her room, she had that. And then she had an extra bed just for me. Usually between me and my brother Mohammed would switch out between. And then she had this black chest. And that black chest that my grandfather built was where all of our snacks lived. There were 
my uncle is traveling, they'll bring back chocolates. Every Friday, biscuits will be baked, like put in there. And there were two, actually three kids, keys. One she had, uh, one I had, and then one that went between the kids for who was really like listening to the adults, was good this week, who did well in their schooling, especially Islamic schooling. She did not care for any other schooling. Uh, and if you did well, you can have that week, you will be the ones that like around uh, tea time, you'll get us the biscuits. You'll open it and then let it, you know, if you wanted to open it extra time, she'll let you. But the interesting thing, like now when I think about it, I laugh about it, but I had the key, but I was still treated like as if I didn't have the key. Like everybody knew I had a key, but she would still give me that week. If it was my turn, I would get the second key. And I'm just like, I can open this anytime. <laughs> She didn't want to throw it in everyone else's face constantly yeah. that you had but the key. But it's constantly right? around my neck. Oh. <laughs> so it's not hidden. Everybody knew. I had it on like, so the prayer beads, I had I had a, a green one and she had an orange one. And then we had a red one for everybody. So it's like the prayer beads and it's around my neck. And at the end, it's just that one key. <laughs> that one key to the snacks. <laughs> to the snacks, to the chocolates <laughs> and things. Um, and that was like designed so that we wouldn't, uh, if we got money, we wouldn't just buy street foods. Like we would give it to her and then she would give it to my mom and then my mom would make us cake. And that was like, <laughs> that was the train off. She would have made the cake by Friday, but she'll, she'll be like, this is the cake that I'm making for you guys. I bought the flour with it and we're like, storage room filled with it. It was, it worked and it kind of like allowed us to use the money in a way. And we were not out on the streets at the markets trying to buy different snacks. Sometimes you could get sick and things. So my grandmother just figured out the system without making us feel like we couldn't do anything. And another thing, because so the town that we lived in was founded by, well, the first person to live there was my grandmother's uncle. And she was the second person to live there. And then so by a result of that, she owned one, most of the land on one side and her uncle owned the other land, part of that. And then in the market, because she started a business when she was around 16 years old in one big empty room and selling bananas. Mm-hmm. She would just a pile of bananas sitting in front of it and she'll sell it that way. And that's how she started her business. And then by default ended up owning a lot of the buildings there. Like she was a part of building the market. And so most of the shopkeepers were in the buildings that were owned by my grandmother. So when we went in there, they wouldn't sell anything to us. They would just give us whatever we wanted. What? What was yeah. that like? They just, they just felt like, they just felt like they couldn't sell it to us yeah. because most of them used it rent free or whatever deal they had with my grandmother. And so we, it was terrifying for me because my grandmother was like, do not, because they have this feeling. You cannot just take this hardworking person's things. And so that's also enforced us to just give our money to our grandmother. And then whatever we needed, it will just go that way. Cause she was just like, they work so hard for it. They're doing it out of respect in this way. And I don't want to like make them uncomfortable by unforcing them. So we don't just take things uh, unless you know a way to pay for them. And so we had to just be like, no, thank you. I'm good. We have candy at home. <laughs> <laughs> was that hard to turn it down? Because <laughs> yeah. then you have to go deal with grandma if you did. Yeah. You feel bad. You feel a sense because she's just like, I'm doing my part to be a community member. And this is their part. But we can really exploit their part if we take advantage of it. Right. Like we could. And I felt that. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to take somebody's hard work. 
you know, uh-huh. she'll be like, they might say this, but we don't own any of this and don't do it. And so that's who she was. She was like fiery in some areas. I got her soft side. I got her very loving and gentle side. I got her playful side because I could get her to be really playful. I would get her to talk about her childhood, which I'm learning now. She didn't do that with a lot of my other cousins. And I'm learning also that she did not really like talking about her childhood. Uh, but I could, I would be like, have you tried this? We'd call her Hawa Iyala, which meant Hawa the child. She'll giggle about it. And and she'll just be like, one of uh, the activities that we used to do is, and this was my, only me and my mom were allowed to do this because another thing was like when my family would send money to her and she would redistribute it into the community, but sometimes she would lose the money. So she'll like have like a hundred dollar bill or so and lose it. And then she'll start to freak out and she's like, I don't know where I put it. So she'll be like, she'll be, we'll be in the kitchen and she'll go ask her and my mom have the same name, but nobody ever called my grandmother by her first name. I think by the time she was in her thirties, she forgot what her name was. (laughs) (laughs) She just called like big sister aunt. There's a lot of moments when she would get called by her name and she'll just be sitting there and we'll be like, it's you. She'll be like, me? Am I the hell that they're calling? <laughs> no one ever says her name. <laughs> so everybody called my mom Howe. And my mom's name, they have the same name. So she'll be like, Howie. She, and she'll sit there. She's like, Which means like, I think I saw a cockroach in my room somewhere. And my mom would be like, no, you did not. And then she'll be like, oh, I don't want them to eat through. And she had like another chest that she had was like these vintage, um, like she had all these different um I'm trying to figure out what is the best English word to use it. But if you say like the kente cloths, like each African country and region has their own cloths. Mm-hmm. And so she used to collect them and she had all of them. And she'll be like, and the word we use it for is alindi or bulja. And the, so she'll be like, the ones that are waxed, we say bulja. And then the ones that are not waxed, it's alindi. And then so she'll be like, oh, I don't want them to tear through my alindi and bulja. And mom was like, there's no way there's a, any spring thing in there, but she'll just, tap me on the leg and she's like go 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 help your grandma I think she lost some money <laughs> and so I'm like flipping over her hut to look for <laughs> to look for that cash somewhere in there oh my goodness that was like the code of saying she yeah was- she didn't want to say it out loud and she'll just be like I, I need help looking for this and she'll tell my mom and my mom will be like Will you go help your grandmother? I think this is what she did. And eventually I caught on and know she'll say that. I'm like, okay, I'll go help. Go look for it. <laughs> oh my goodness. And going under the bed and looking for it. And then under her, <clears throat> her, her bed, she would have like these boxes and baskets of like these medicines that she's picked. They're drying this. So I can even like right now talking about smell the smells. Like she would have all these things. So you have to go through it. And she'll be like, oh, that was supposed to dry for three years. I just figured it out get that out and then she'll start making a medicine and so she'll get distracted into making the medicine (laughs) and I'll just like go through things and I was really good at going through things I was also really good at organizing things back to place because that's how my mom was like my mom had a system for her but my grandmother still would forget and so I my mom taught it to me so I would reorganize things into their places though so she didn't totally lose it or if I wasn't there my mom could find things for her easily and so, yeah, she was a healer. She'd have people come all the time who had um, multiple things. Like she used to do a lot of the cupping is one of the things that she did for people. So in the cupping, my uncle and I, my uncle Mohammed and I will assist her. And so you'd have like her 
her, the person will be laying on like that heart surface because she'll be like, you need the heart surface. It was just a part of her ritual. And, and then she would like show us the areas and then my uncle would go around and he would have a cloth with a coin at the bottom and then it's tied. And then the tips of the cloth will be dipped in gas and then you set it in the areas. And I was the one with the matches lighting them and then he would come around with the cups. And then once we set the cups, we leave it for her. And then she does like, you know, and, and so that was like my, my, with my grandmother or we would be in the woods every one of the rituals. My mom was just talking to me about this yesterday. We were talking about it, reminiscing about it. One of the rituals that my grandmother did every Friday morning, we would all wake up and every Friday morning, there would be like two or three goats that are killed. So the expectation is most of our village will come to our house for lunch every Friday. But in the mornings to start, we did a kind of a ritual of like reading the Quran for our ancestors. We have share a meal together in their memories and so forth. And so every morning we will wake up, have breakfast, and then she'll pick up. She had this clay pot that we had charcoal, like burning charcoal into it. And then she'll put frankincense into it. And then lead us, like all the kids, we would follow her, lead us into a line. And she's doing her frankincense. We're right behind her reading blessings for all the people that are buried, we'll walk through all the burial grounds right right outside of our village until we get to our family's burial grounds, clean it around. And then she'll just keep us in that ritual. It was a way to check if everything was okay, a way to clean, a way to identify. She'll be like, so-and-so is here. This is your uncle, this and this. This is who this was. And just like her friends, family. <laughs> and And then we'd all come back. And by the time we came back, there'll be like um, our midday snack around like 11 was uh, a cup of like cool buttermilk and then um, kind of the Somali egg sponge cake. And then we all sit down with her and she would like enjoy our snacks and then she'll tell us stories and then she'll take our blessings. <laughs> it was just like, that was my, oh my God, I love her. <laughs> and she was just like, she'll just spend all of her time with the kids. And then we go take naps. And by the time we wake up, the house is like full of people and uh, we'll have a meal. And that was like every Friday. Every Friday. Mm-hmm. Every Friday. She's just, she's amazing and phenomenal. And I so appreciate the seriousness that she takes to being our connection to home. Mm-hmm. She really likes, at times I'm like, oh, can't you just leave it alone and leave it behind? And she's like, then where, what will you come back to? Mm-hmm. And that was how my grandmother was. When a new grandchild was born, she would build another room or she would add to land. And in her head, that was where we would come back to. So in, there needed to be room for this new person to add to the space. And my mom thinks exactly in that way. Mm-hmm. And so her, what's important to her and her priorities is where do we still reconnect to? Like, she's like, I understand you guys need to go out to the West to learn and to build a different future. However, you still need a home. You still need that roots place. And so she works very hard. And then it's my dad that sometimes she's dragging by the feet <laughs> to care about farms and things. And he's just like, can we just build a house in Nairobi? And she's like, no, no, no. We need one in this rocky remote place to know what it's like to live here. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I have two questions. I want to know when you plan on returning home. But before that, I understand that you, you know, you have work to do here. Mm -hmm. So I want you to tell me about the work that you do here also. Oh man, I love the work that I get to do here too. 
um, the work that I get to do here connects with so much of the Mariam I was just telling you about, of just like interacting with people, with land, um, with seed. I, I really love that. So I get, I get to work with an amazing organization, Hope Community Inc. in Minneapolis, and I'm their farm lead slash um, food policy and food systems lead slash environmental justice. Just the weird person that talks to plants and bees and carries around seeds. Uh, I don't carry in my pockets anymore um, salt, sea salt, but I do have seeds. I know. The <laughs> um, sea salt is a little bit too saltier here. At least it feels mm. like that to me. And I can't eat lemons by themselves now, unless Myers lemons once in a while, but it's still this. They're much more acidic where I'm like, they should grow near the river. And so they're, saturated with the river water and it's just not as are they better back home they're just they're like a much more flavorful myers lemon an organic myers lemon take that and just make it better and those are lemons (laughs) 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 everything just multiply by 10 and then Mm -hmm. that's how it would taste um but yeah so i get to do that i get to work with adults i get to work with babies predominantly you know communities of color um, growing food I have been spending a lot of time and will continue to spend a lot of time learning about indigenous foods here because I farm on Dakota land and I feel so blessed to connect with that because there's something it's just there's something powerful about this land um, that reminds me so much of home Mm. Um, and that was like me on my ancestral land, right? Like there's a different connection to it. And then I feel a lot of that spirituality in this land as well. And to connect with it, I feel so grateful because a points of it, it's, I feel like there's a sense of acceptance where it accepts my hands and my feet on it. And it just says, Oh, you're here. Like, and I'm just like, so I sometimes will be crying by myself in there. Just like, I feel you and I understand you and I understand the value of it for others and for the relatives that were here um, who have nurtured it to this point. It's so loved and it's so it's so beautiful. And to be a part of it and to engage with it that way and to share it with community in an open way because it's not, the space is not designed to be producing money. It's not designed to produce a certain number of pounds. It's It's designed so people have space to talk about their own food stories and their own food sovereignty, and then to look for a collective way of building their alternative food system to the food system that has discarded their food, right? It either takes and steals and then brings you back something that you don't even recognize anymore as your food, or it just doesn't even mention it, right? Like how, what does that look like? And one of the ways that um, working with this land and restoring my own relationship with land, right? Like having to leave as a refugee, there was a huge trauma for me and it took me 10 years to reconnect with land. Um, and I'm so glad that I found this place. Maybe I was holding out for this place to just have that safe transition. Um, but it one of the ways to heal all of that is one is me learning about indigenous seeds and understanding what are the traditions of seed keeping here on this land and that this land understands. And then finding the joy of like, it's very similar to our tradition of seed keeping, uh, of loving the land and understanding that you are a part of it. Um, because my people literally believe our bodies are and loan to us from the land. And so there's a huge and important relationship 
between us and land and like connecting with it is our medicine and it grows our medicine. It is our medicine. Um, and that, and then also learning about what are the different components of this land besides water, soil, and air that contribute to the growing of food, right? Like one is the seasons, like the, having the four seasons, it's, it's new to me. I didn't grow up like I got, I grew up with the two seasons of East Africa and you have rain or no rain, right? Yep. Dry or rain. <laughs> Dry or rain. The crows come, you know, it's about to be the farm season. <laughs> and, you, and you move along with that. And here you have, you know, maybe spring. No, we're not spring yet. <laughs> and then you're transitioning. But what does it look like to have native bees that are so powerful and so amazing and what they're capable of, like a native bee versus a honeybee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then sometimes I meet um, other plants or supporters of garden. I call them supporters of the food system of like the red worms, right, for, uh, for vermicomposting. And I was like, oh, y'all are Africans too. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe relatives in that way too, where I'm just like, oh my God, I didn't even know about you. It's so great to meet you. Let's Let's meet you, my brother. I do get that way about it. I'm just like, did you know it's African? I love it. Oh, she's found one more thing. And I also really love using like when I'm out and I'm out in the open, I can tell directions. I can tell time by the sun. I love teaching that to the kids because they're just like, I would be like, they're like, what time is it? And I'll just pull up like my rake and I'll be like, it's so and so, I'm like 2.30 and then they'll go check their phones and they're like, how did you get that? Or <laughs> I'll come together and I'll be like, oh, it will rain in about 20 minutes. And I'll be like, oh, it looks like the rain will just maybe heavy a little bit and then it will fade. And every time when it happens, the kids are like, how do you do that? And I was like, let me tell you about a child from the villages of Africa. <laughs> And how she learned these things. <laughs> oh, we got to write a children's book about you. <laughs> I know we should. Uh, and so that's that's what I get to do. I get to connect, you know, nine-year-old Mariam, five-year-old Mariam with a 30-year-old Mariam here on Dakota land and get to hang out with just amazing kids who teach me every day why this is so important to connect with land to build relationship with trees to really understand that as being from or living in one of the largest polluters uh, or co2 like emitters of the world and i can see where i see the environmental devastation so much of it is home like i see it from my mom's stories and she's like this is really changing demographics are changing there's new plants here and then understanding that connection like there's also another stake in it for me in working through a lot of the environmental injustices that we're seeing in our communities that happen predominantly in black and brown communities and um putting words to it and say yeah we deserve clean air we deserve you know clean healthy nourishing soil and water and um and also as black people and as people of color the fear that has been placed within us to interact with wild spaces, right? I would love to go camping. You know, it took me a long time to go running by myself. I'm like, I just want at 6 a.m. to be out there and run. And then as a reward, as I finish my run, I want the sun to rise and I can Mm -hmm. see it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's a lot of fear around that as a woman, as um, all of these layers. And so working through a lot of that, working through 
moving through spaces. I remember, you know, 10 years ago, I had an opportunity to go see, to go to the Boundary Waters, but it was with a white group and just me being like, you know what, I have a feeling you're the wrong group of people to go see this with. And I hear the way you, there's a way when you talk about the beauty, I, I get it, you see the beauty, but it's, I'm like, it's, it doesn't feel, at that time, I didn't feel like, to, at least to that group of people, that it was cellular level. I was like, I need you to feel it at the molecular <laughs> level of this beauty and the value of this. And so just moving through it, and I still have not been, I mean, when we first came to the U.S., you live in Minnesota, so you hear a lot of the, about the cabins and then reporting back at home about like, did you know Minnesotans go up north to the cabins? And they're like, do they all live in the same cabin? What is a cabin? <laughs> well, I mean, when I, when I hear my white friends talk about the Boundary Waters, mm-hmm. it's, you know, beautiful. We want to go there every month, a couple of times a year, yeah. every other weekend, when I hear Black people talk about it, it's the fear associated with it. It's racism. It's unsafe. It's danger. Yeah. It's all that water, right? Like there's, it brings up a lot of things. Um, and it's just how, because we're all connected, you know, um, especially if, like all of us in the POC BIPOC group, are connected and our stories and our histories are tied together and our oppression is used against one another, right? And I feel like um, as we work through this and learn each other's stories and histories, we release ourselves from a lot of those narratives. And I think nature offers us a lot of those stories and the tapestry for a lot of those stories. And so this land is beautiful. And, you know, as I was learning one of the things, like one of the fun facts that my son loves to share about the Great Plains is that the Great Plains and the African savanna are very similar. They tend to have the same like types of animals, the big animals, the smaller animals, that plain area, the tall grasses, right? Like you see a lot more trees here, but the tall trees are not native to here. It's the tall grasses. And, and I'm from the tall grasses of East Africa. And so I'm just like, maybe that's why it settles so well. <laughs> feels. Exactly why. Yeah, there's something familiar about it. And then as for the question of when do I plan to go home, uh, I think of it in this way of like, I want to be invited back. I want the winds that move through to bring my invitation so I can go back. So I think maybe continue to explore here and then maybe the winds will bring back my invitation and then, then I'll be able to go back. Yeah, they come, um, they come, I hear. I hear it because it's just, it's a craving, but mm-hmm. there's also a level of like, there's maybe more to it. And so I'm patient. I'm patient for the wind to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll receive the confirmation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that's how an East African is living in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> the East African in Minnesota. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to send me any feedback to Tiffany at MosesOrganic.org.